the most exciting thing about suicide prevention, with this number of 132 and others, mm-hmm. is that when I talk about prevention starts in the conversation, each and every person, you and everyone around you, has the ability to immediately blow stigma out of the water and hold a safe space of community just by you being the one to raise your voice. That's right. And then we're not talking about a commercial and a poster, that's nice. But if you sit in a space, especially if you're a personage of authority, yeah. and you say, here it is. Yep. Mental health is real. Yep. You will start a floodgate. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Hello, everyone. This week, we sit down with Carl Evans, an author and a leader in suicide prevention. Carl has spent the last decade pioneering mental health awareness. He is the CEO of Hope For Us Network and a senior director for Hope For The Day. By developing the proactive suicide prevention theory, Carl aims to disrupt the highest risk factors for mental health crises. He works with all different communities and institutional levels nationwide to implement lasting changes in mental health care. This guy is seriously the real deal when it comes to understanding mental health in a new light. We can't wait for you to listen to this episode, and make sure to subscribe to the Good Athlete Podcast so you never miss an episode. And now, Carl Evans. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Anyone who is not familiar with you yet will be, and they need to be. So could you give us a little bit of an introduction of you and your work? Thanks, Jim. Carl Evans, uh, I do something called proactive suicide prevention. That's a sort of term I think I coined. Um, but we'll, we'll credit you with it either way. <laughs> specifically, I run an organization called the Hope for Us Network, and the mission here is to disrupt the highest risk factors for suicide and mental health crisis. And proactive suicide prevention is a matter of education, training, and teaching strategies to recognize the earliest signs and symptoms of illness and trauma, and then also create practices that people can use to reinforce environments that are conducive to supporting mental health, early reporting, um, being supportive if somebody is experiencing a challenge, um, and also reshape how we approach mental health in general, Mm -hmm. um, which we can talk about more, but that's the over-under. We were founded in 2021. I've been in the mental health education space for roughly 15 years now. Uh, been a lived experience individual with mental health for my whole life, yeah. fortunately, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Right. Fortunately, because you now get to help other people in a very intimate, n- knowing way. Mm-hmm. Certainly, unfortunately, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to yeah, navigate these waters. The thing about it is, it's something we talk about, especially with younger individuals who are going through mental challenges. Yeah is if you think of like superheroes in comic books, almost none of them invited or wanted to have their powers or their experiences that give them a responsibility. But when you experience a mental challenge, whether it happens very early Mm -hmm. in your life, as my case, uh, which I'll talk about in a a little bit, or it's something that becomes onset, Mm -hmm. uh, it starts to manifest itself in your teens and early 20s, it's something where you become part of a, unfortunately, fraternity, sorority, a group of people who are all learning in real time how to confront and manage the reality of their personal experiences mm-hmm. while trying to navigate a society and world that is not friendly and sometimes mm-hmm. even hostile to living with a mental health challenge. 
Say more about that. That, that. I love that you're thinking on two levels. Because uh, of, of course it has to be, and it's not. It's uh, what I like so much about this is it's not u- unique to mental health, but of course our conversation today is focused on it, and that's there is a level of, of personal accountability might be the wrong word or agency where it's like I have to navigate my own situation, but then the context within which I am existing mm-hmm. also plays a major factor. So you're touching both on the personal and the environmental. Uh, yeah. That's big. Yeah, can you say, say more about yeah, that? Yeah, the way I would, we're going to do a little quick rapid flash education here. Just I love sort it. Of give yeah, let's do it. What I want you to do is conceptualize mental health, you know, step away from the medulla oblongata and, you know, body chemistry and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And just conceptualize, um, is this? That's for you. Is this carbonated? Uh, no. Okay. But it's a good, it's, it provides a good visual, so I like In, where you're going. Think of your mind like a bottle of soda. Okay? Yeah. Carbonated, we'll go with it, right? And it's just, so you got it. Yep. And so you start shaking it up, and if this was carbonated, what would be happening? Pressurizing internally. Pressure's yeah. building up. Okay. Yeah. Now, if we open it right away, mm-hmm. split all ourselves, we get sticky, it's all nasty. Yeah. Now, we know we can open this slowly in a way, and it lets out that pressure. It makes that wonderful sound like a yep. little ASMR for you. And <laughs> we'll call that valving our pressure. Okay, so just keep the soda bottle, the pressure build. Valving. I'm going to unravel the mysteries of mental health right for you right now. Let's do it. There are two places that everyone on the universe in this planet is going to have things build up as pressure. When we Mm -hmm. talk about pressure, we're talking about an experience that disrupts your cognitive ability to function, Mm -hmm. to process, to think, to interact socially, personally, intimately. Okay, so two places that build up pressure internally. Mm -hmm. There are things that you can be born with, Mm -hmm. things that were happening when you were just a little gleam in your mama and daddy's eye. Okay, Mm -hmm. and it's a dysfunction in the development of neurons firing and glands working that can lead to disruptions in how your body functions. Mm -hmm. And these disruptions can then lead to things that fit a clinical diagnosis, Mm -hmm. okay, Um, for a wide plethora of diagnosis, anything from bipolar to even levels of clinical depression. There's not a set science on this one gene marker does this or that, but it's, it's a constantly rapidly learning thing, but they're real. And you can actually be screening for a wide variety of mental challenges as early as the ages of eight and nine years old. Oftentimes, you won't get a set responsible diagnosis until you're in your early 20s because we've learned just recently that your frontal lobe doesn't finish developing until you're in your early 20s. And we're just learning how big of a part that plays in managing body uh, cognitive function and things like that. But the part you need to remember is that there are naturally, organically occurring things that happen within your body, and we can build screening processes. Now, think of it this way. Well, what does that matter? You may not get a diagnosis for XYZ when you're 9 and 10 and 11 years old, but imagine if a parent, an individual student, an educator is aware of these things and can adapt to them. The way you can think about this is imagine someone who has late-stage diagnosis of dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Think about their academic experience in first grade, second grade. You got 20, 30 years sometimes okay. of frustrations. Yeah. And think about what's, that's, and we're talking about dyslexia, okay? Right. Think about um, you're a slow performer. You're not getting it. You're looking at your peers and you're kicking your own butt. Maybe your parents discipline you because they think you're you're acting up in school. And that's, that's why right. you're not applying yourself. That's right. You start to beat yourself up and think, I'm stupid. I'm worthless. Self-esteem, performance. 
staying up late at night because you can't get a piece of homework and then you lose your sleep and the health. You see, yeah. there's not your imagination that that can have a severe cataclysmic effect on not just your academic track to college and, and athletics and any other thing you do, your quality of life as a human being. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So that dyslexia, we put part of the mental health discussion here, and sure. I'll come back to why, but internal. Okay? But we don't know how many people, one out of a million, one out of 100,000, have genetic and biologically based conditions for mental health challenges because of silence. Okay? And you're going to get sick of me talking about the word stigma, which we'll come back to. I will not. To, I will but, not. But <laughs> um, just remember I said that. So we yeah. don't know how many people have these internal things because there's a whole blind yeah. side. On yeah. Totally. Totally. Okay. We do know, though, 100% of people will experience the other place that pressure can build, and that's sure. externally. Right, right. That's the right. things that can be happening to you that you personally directly experience or you can see through a screen or you can hear, mm -hmm. and they create an intensive emotional response. Now, the traditional term is trauma. Mm -hmm. You've heard this word. Trauma is a great word. We like it. It's not yeah. a bad word. No. Okay. But because of things like stigma, it helps us think about mental health in false ways. Yeah. So if I go home to you and I'm trying to do some support work for you and I say, have mm -hmm. you been traumatized? Right. Well, let's say your situation is you're struggling on getting homework done. Mm -hmm. And you look at your friends. Did you talk to my mom before? Because <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Um, that's, and you're struggling with your friends. Yeah. Or, or you're struggling and you look yeah. at your, your peers and they're getting work done. You're like, well, I'm an idiot. Yeah, it's yeah. wrong. Right. Okay. I say, have you ever been traumatized? You're going to think about whatever you're going through. Yeah. And then you're going to think about car crash or, that's right or something very 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 visible yeah violence yeah okay yeah anyway on my scale no i'm not traumatized at all right however what you experienced was a psychological injury mm -hmm. and i want you to think about that trauma is still a good word but you experience something that can be the scale of a twisted ankle to mm -hmm. a pulled muscle to mm -hmm. a broken bone. There's a range, of course, yeah. An emotionally intensive experience creates a strength. Think about you're just doing something healthy like weightlifting. Mm -hmm. You can still pull a muscle trying to do something healthy. Without question. That is what trauma is. And that is the most consistent feature of mental health challenges for people. Yeah. Free and clear of internal diagnosis. Right. Can I, can I, I want to filter this through you because this is the language that I've been using. I want to make sure I'm using the right language. I have come to understand the, the nature of trauma differently in the last maybe six months than I ever did. We may have even talked about this last time we were on the phone. But there, there's a spectrum, of course. Mm -hmm. And from, from, from my perspective, what's been very helpful for me to understand, and anyone who might be listening, is uh, trauma uh, does feel heavy. It feels like a big word. And it, of course, could be when you're talking about those extremes that you mentioned before. But that's, I think, what I've come to understand is what they call capital T trauma. Sure, those are, of course, those are traumatic events. I don't think people should be resistant to the term because there is what some people would call lowercase t trauma, which ultimately I've come to understand you use the body like a rolled ankle. I think of it the same way. It's like if you trip and fall on the sidewalk and skin your elbow, you're, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, but if you trip and fall on the sidewalk and you break your arm, that would be a physical trauma. And the way I've come to understand trauma is anything that falls on the spectrum where uh, it's not just going to kind of heal automatically. It's not the same as like a challenge. It's like uh, for whatever reason, internal, external, likely a combination, you've experienced some sort of psychological injury 
that probably could benefit from support. It's not just going to mm -hmm. kind of go away. It's leaving a mark. Absolutely. So yeah. That's absolutely, that's very consistent. And um, if you think of a lot of learning to get aggressive, moving forward on mental health, yeah. a lot of this gets down to like golf lessons where it's like you can get the right swing, but there's still mm -hmm. some adjustments. And I want you to pay attention to sort of the languaging there, mm -hmm. big T, lower T trauma. Mm -hmm. When we talk about a psychological injury mm -hmm. and in internal, external pressures, people can appreciate those things, right? Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. All right. But that doesn't actually get us to you communicating your mental challenges. Mm -hmm. And hmm. when we talk about psychological injury, the tactic is to destigmatize wording. Right? Mm -hmm. If I speak so we, to an right. eight-year-old, a veteran of war, a 90-year-old, my problem isn't that they do or do not know something's wrong. You did not need an expert mm -hmm. to come in and tell you something's mm -hmm. wrong. You knew it. But you got to pierce through that veil of silence. And so here, let's unpack it down to... Big T and little T. Yeah. The most visible and detrimental thing that stigma can do is create a false sense of hierarchy. That's one of the most mm. immediate things it does. Mm -hmm. And that's not a small thing to say. That sure. shapes us. That shapes our community. That shapes our institutions of how they build mental health supports. Yeah. Okay? Fair enough. Yeah. So think of it this way. <clears throat> when you think about big T and little T, which yeah. is you've got you're making the full rotation. Okay, yep. you got yep. you, you got your elbow tucked in a little bit, but it's chicken wing in there because yeah. big T, little T, right? Yep. There's still a hierarchy. Yeah. And when you do the math this way, one person is experiencing physical abuse, mm -hmm. maybe from let's take teenagers, for instance. Mm -hmm. Someone's facing visible physical mm -hmm. abuse, maybe from a significant other, maybe from a parent, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Someone else is being socially isolated by their friends. They're right. just being kicked out of the chat group. Sure. If I say who's at highest risk for harm, mm -hmm. even risk of harming themselves or taking their own life, mm -hmm. who do you, how do you process that? In a traditional manner, you say, person who's being physically abused. There's a hierarchy of visibility. It's for visible. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Therefore, it must be more intensive. Right. But not because of a, oh, it's resiliency or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Each person experiences it's internal right long story short philosophically yeah. so everything's a spectrum there's yeah. very visible and there's less visible but sure. the intensity of someone's experience is entirely related to themselves 100 percent can't predict it so yeah. we have to then build a discipline to engage that conversation to meet everyone right. we call it, in our education it's the dignity of the individual it's mm -hmm. the hardest thing as a advocate for this to yeah. train into yourself right. that you've got to meet each person's issue where they are. Right. And not walk in with the chart of being like, oh, I hear you're dealing with an eating disorder, so you must right. be... You're in this category. You know, or, yeah. Because let's say you do screenings on a thing like eating disorder, especially yeah. when we talk about younger individuals. If you follow a chart and stats, mm -hmm. you're going to look at everyone who identifies as a female and everyone who, you know, and you could miss the 14-year-old person who identifies as a male whose eating disorder is coming from trying to make weight in wrestling. Sure. And right. they don't look emaciated and skinny, but they're right. having maladaptive eating practices and, and, they're, and it's creating huge issues for them. Yeah, without right? question. Yeah. But you would never see it because it didn't fit a certain kind of thing. Right. So those are the, when we talk about this whole idea of pressure builds, even that term of pressure is trying to wash away this idea of like, are you depressed? Hmm. 
You're not going to answer oh, yeah. me. Right, right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. And to your point, though, so so one, you're totally right. And actually, I'm wearing it right now. We'll make sure we get you one. But Team Embrace, one of our initiatives is all about embracing the conversation of mental health, destigmatizing. You are fully embedded in it, and that's why this is so good. One of the reasons that I think it's been helpful from for, uh, to identify big T, little t for us is not to create a hierarchy, mm-hmm. but to create an entry point. Because I think for some people, they think when they hear the word trauma, they are thinking just those big things. So I'm even saying from like a bystander or a potential support perspective to have to equip people with the understanding that that um, or maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's both. Someone might be going through something. Their experience is individualized and unique and worth investigating. And also what's going on in my life is individual and unique. And I don't have to have witnessed a, a, a shooting, you know, which is this is coming from a real story. We, 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 I don't have to have witnessed a shooting to have experienced trauma. These other things also count. And so to destigmatize the very word trauma. And I, I only say that because it, it, you, I, I like that hierarchy idea. It's obviously, at least from how I'm hearing you, um, the next needed step is is uh, normalizing and skill building around empathy. Because, mm-hmm. however, you know, how could I know what hurts person A? I, you know, I, I don't. Uh, other, I have to want to. I have to have curiosity. I have to ask questions. I, I the, the whole stage has to be sort of set differently. And I think that's what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we like to think so, right? And yeah. To that point, that's also the thing of I want to double down on. Trauma's still a good word, yeah. but I think the, the modern phrasing is like unlearning certain things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we we didn't throw trauma away. <laughs> we just sort of set it to the side and just the goal here is, yeah. is practicality and effectiveness. Yeah. So that's where the whole soda bottle thing comes from. And yeah. people, we've worked, we've worked. Oh, I see. Right, right, right. Let's so, talk about pressure. Let's talk about frustration. Not necessarily You can go trauma. to anyone. Yeah. yeah. And they can conceptualize pressure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you can talk about mental health in a way that frees everyone of vernacular because that's right. another destructive – it's a barrier builder, right? Yeah, that's right. It so is, you don't definitely. have to ask somebody if you've been hurt. Any given day, you can walk up to anyone of any age, but let's say you're working with athletes. Yeah. How's your, how's your pressure today? You know? Yeah. No. Uh, I had a lot of tests. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Right. And so let's talk about the other part of that, though. Okay. You can now verbalize mental health in a way that frees the vernacular and da 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 Okay. Part two, though, is we need action. So it's not mm-hmm. just good enough to have a slogan in a, and, and, and a power phrase that you put in a commercial. And right, right, that. right. Okay. Pressures. But remember the other part about opening the cap, right? Mm-hmm. We can be valving. Yeah. And that's mental health care. And nobody taught us that. In the same way that from you were early and young, you were taught that you get a little head cold, you have a little chicken noodle soup. Uh, 24 hour cold. But if you mm-hmm. wake up the next day after that little cold and you can't see straight and you got a fever, mm-hmm. you go to the yeah. doctor because right. you have maximized your self care. You roll mm-hmm. your ankle, put some ice on it. Somebody might even tell someone, hey, lift your leg, elevate it. Yeah. Without right. being a surgeon or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. we were all told formal and informal ways to recognize physical and wellness and da 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 through education or just word of mouth from friends and peers. What is that tool for you in mental health, right? If you're actually asking, I can tell you. Yeah, it, well, in a football setting, it was like, like dust it off. Like you're, you know. At most compassionate, if you're lucky, you might have had a coach that said, "Well, you're hurt, or you injured." 
That's right. <laughs> Which actually, on a lower level, is an interesting <laughs> distinction. Yeah, you're right. I used to hear, uh, rub some dirt on it. You'll rub be fine. Some dirt on it. I've said it. I've said it. You know, I'll admit that. And there's a psychology why they're trying to do that because the whole idea of your your brain can build limits and da 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 da. Yeah. We'll come back to that in a second. Sure. Building sure. resilience is a real thing you can do. 100%. Yeah. But. Trying to build resilience where we haven't given the tools to manage the basic principles of mental health mm-hmm. is like asking someone who's never spent a day in a weight room to try to deadlift 400 pounds. Right. You know what I mean? Without a weight right. belt or anything. And yeah, without any sort of skill. Just, just yeah, tough it, it out. out. Yeah, that's know? right. That's right. So it's the idea is there, but you can't just go from zero to 60. Sure. So when we talk about the valve thing, imagine you have a tough day at work, mm-hmm. stressful day. What do you do when you go home? Uh, I go for a walk. You go for a walk. That's right? my that's my valving. That's my venting. Yeah. And if you ask anyone around you, let's say you're in a group of people and say you have a frustrating day at school, whatever, what do you do when you go home? I eat something. I cry into the void. I take a shower. I, I didn't want to disrupt your story, but, but mm-hmm. I used to. It, it used to. It wasn't always go for a walk. I, I I'm I'm mm-hmm. that's my. I think one of my healthy valves. It used to be have somebody taste good, watch some TV. That kind of stuff. Well, and we can get into yeah, that too. For sure. Remember, no stigma here. So no stigma here. The answers no. can be in a group. And yeah. if I do this with a group of teens, 40-year-olds, whoever, yeah. it'll range from everything from going to walk, crying to the void, light sure. up a doobie, kick back a beer, right. Make some pet art, a dog, paint, yeah. paint yeah. dance, sing. Okay. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> we're not going to judge what you just said, but yeah. keep that thing there. Yeah. Now, remove it, but keep the stressful day. Mm-hmm. So day after day, you come home, come home. Mm-hmm. None of that. And we might have called them outlets, okay? Mm-hmm. But you don't have any of that. So it can take days, weeks, months, years, but that can be a pressure that can build up over time to the point that it rises to be so dominant in your brain that it disrupts your cognitive ability to process, carry out simple tasks, yeah. do complex things, maintain social, intimate, or platonic relationships, think downrange, focus on intensive activities. And we didn't talk about you got a clinical diagnosis for something. We didn't talk about you saw a car crash. Okay. It was a part of your actual daily life stressors that built up. That thing you were doing to try to make yourself feel better Mm -hmm. is the center point of mental health care. Yeah. Okay. You are constantly, everyone who's listening right now, you on a day-to-day basis are valving out pressure all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. However, there are things in life internally and externally that can build up a pressure that's so intense that it maxes out your self-care tools. That's right. That's right. That's it. That's that's Even if hard. you have a deep kit of self-care tools. Absolutely. It, 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 either the pressure is too high or the skills are too limited or some at some point there's a threshold. You ice sure. that ankle. Yeah. You keep icing it and elevate it. Yeah. But you wake up three days later Eventually, and it's black right. and purple and the size of grapefruit. Right. You can't wish it away and you better go yes, elevate the go level of care. Something. If you yeah. don't, it on its own could exasperate and get worse, but maybe you overcompensate and then you injure your other leg. Trying to <laughs> right. Them. Totally. It just continues. The state of mental health across the board in any culture is a gap between the onset of an issue and the point of intervention. That's the whole name of the game we have here. It's a gap mm-hmm. crisis. That's okay? right. And that gap is That's not good. done by ignorance in and of itself. Right. It's perpetuated by a silence of stigma. Yeah. And here's where I come back to stigma. It's not just a buzzword, okay? Mm-hmm. No. Coughing, bleeding, high temperature are physiological symptoms mm-hmm. of physiological unwellness, okay? doesn't tell you whether you got the whooping cough or pneumonia. It just says, hey, 
Something's you got to look. Yeah. When it comes to our mental health, and this is why we include not just depression, but we talk about something like dyslexia, which the traditional institutional approach would separate dyslexia, ADD, ADHD. Sure. That would not be mental health. Okay. Mental health is our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. 100%. It's not compartmentalized. So your functioning, your cognitive behavior is not to be separated from things that impact your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So important. And here's the final punchline to that. The only way you can communicate your mental challenges is through self-expression. Yep. Oh. And stigma even shapes that self-expression is dancing, painting, and singing, which is fine. That's part of it. Crying and laughing is self-expression. Mm-hmm. And pay attention to how society says those are there's artsy things. And, oh, you can communicate your pain through art. Mm-hmm. Stigma says that's a safe avenue. Mm-hmm. But you as a human being sitting in a chair in a classroom or your home or somewhere, when you're unwell, your ability to say, I am not well, mm-hmm. I am hurting inside, mm-hmm. or I can't concentrate because I have a lot of anger, or mm-hmm. you know, is controlled by yeah. stigma. Stigma is social and cultural factors that try to dictate how we express ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's that thing that makes us think of mental health in all these contorted ways. Because stigma and mental health ultimately is this. The false belief that we are 110% in control of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Right. That's the name of the game. And it's not a Facebook thing. It's not no. a, a cable thing. It's been here for centuries plus millennia. <laughs> you know what it's called? I got three papers in my backpack right now. It's called illusory control. It's like we are under the illusion. Mm-hmm. Like we are, we think that we have more control than we do. That's sure. it. And, and that makes people feel safe. Exactly. And it's, well, yeah. it's also based, you know, on the on the application of that, right? Yeah. That if there's something that's going on inside of your brain, yeah. You should be able to control it. You should be able to disrupt your life. If it does, mm-hmm. okay, it's a reflection of your willpower. Yeah, you're not disciplined. Your strength. Your, yeah, right. Your moral character. Right. It can even be extrapolated to a reflection of your family bloodline. Right. <laughs> okay? right. In some right. cultures. But wash all the ph- philosophy and science down. What it comes down to is it's a threat to your competency. Okay. Threat to competency. Yeah. So when we talk right. about stigma and social cultural factors... The thing that keeps people silent, when we talk about fear of judgment, or, or, or I don't want to put it on anyone else, it's a fear of competency. Mm-hmm. And we live, this, is, this isn't just a Western society or colonialism thing, but we live in, not even modern, we live in societies that judge us by our output. Yeah, not by no, there's no doubt. Our internal, right? Yes. So do the math. Whether you're a CEO or a 14-year-old or a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, brother, sister, mother, brother. Everywhere in our society, we're being asked to measure up by an external factor. What do you mm-hmm. contribute as? Okay. So if you talk about mental health, yeah. you're taking your own agency away. You're not mm-hmm. equal to it. You're not competent enough. Mm-hmm. It can be as simple as somebody doesn't want to say something because they don't want somebody to start making decisions for them. Like, oh, they're, they're depressed all the time, so we don't want to bring them down or we don't want to include yeah, them because... Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. they get anxiety, so let's not invite them to the party because not mean bullies, just we won't invite them because we just don't want them to, like, 
that's a fear people can have. They don't need sure, to have like the sure. bully of like, oh, we're gonna. That's right, <laughs> right, right. I don't. Maybe I don't want to admit this for fear of uh, people making a decision not to include me, for fear of feeling further isolated. For, for yeah, mm-hmm. you, you track it down, it becomes a very human and obvious thing why people would resist that. So destigmatizing that makes and that's makes the thing. a whole lot of sense. That's it's right. it's easy if we just think that mental health silence is the so-called toxic of that. Wow, you're. Oh, you're making it up. That that's out there. That thing is out there. I want to I want to address the people. First of all, I don't think those people are listening to that. But I, I'll tell you, it's funny how amazing social media is and how destructive it can be, and et cetera, et cetera. But I I saw a story, like you know, an Instagram story, not long ago, from someone who I I'm not going to give any identifying information, but someone who I really thought I was at one point close to. I think a generally good person, generally speak. I don't know how you even measure that in a, an official way, but making a comment about mental illness that was so, it was far more than dismissive. It was like exactly what you're talking about. Like essentially like this is BS, what's wrong with X, Y, Z. And here's what I would say to that person just in case this resonates with them and they're somehow tuning in. I sure hope you are. To me, that's, there's, that's a signal flare for something that's going on deep in them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're putting up some major wall by dismissing it so heavily. They're putting up some major wall that is in defense of a deep-seated vulnerability that they have. And man, is that a shame. And I would a thousand percent agree with you. Yeah. I think even if you get down to like the technical term of pathology, of, of, excuse me, of projecting, yeah. right? If the pathology is that the more your insecurity, the more intense your insecurity, the more you outwardly, you know, push against yeah. it or, or put it in spotlight. And that probably for a lot of people is a good way. It's like, it's like the more it's the Shakespearean doth protest too much thing, right? Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> doth protest. Have you ever heard of parts work? Have you ever heard of that? Say again? Parts work? P-A-R-T-S? Now, anyone? No, no. <laughs> this is just, it's interesting. I, I've been thinking about it constantly. Uh, Joe and I have been talking about it a little bit recently too. It is, and I'm resisting. Joe, I'm sorry, I gotta draw. I gotta draw, I hope this doesn't throw, I know it's an audio-based thing, but. So, the way that we think about this, um, Schwartz is the author's name. He's big in what they call, he calls internal family systems. You might be, this might be right up your alley, actually. I might have to send you some stuff on this. Internal family systems, essentially the, um, he started off as a, as a family therapist, you know, envisioning the actual physical family system. How does person A interact with person B? How is this potentially exacerbating issues? And, and um, in family dynamics, oftentimes you will, you'll, um, someone will observe the dynamics and then kind of peel people off one-on-one, talk, talk, reintegrate, see how the dynamics over. Anyway, he had this idea that we each have internal parts and those parts are interacting in the same way. So like um, there might be a defensive part to someone. I'm kind of using this person as an example. Well, if the volume on that de- defensive part is turned up too much, like that's just one piece of the person's personality. It's not the person in and of themselves. And then when one piece of one's personality gets the volume turned up enough, there's always, like you say, there's, there's, there's reason to investigate. That is, almost, that is a symptom. Right. That that demonstrate. You know, if if your defensiveness and spewing hate and saying this is you know this uh, if if you pr- uh, protest too much, mm-hmm. that is like the coughing and sneezing. That's a symptom of something that's sitting a little bit deeper down. I do dig that. Yeah, and I think that 
without without even I I use the term pathologizing because I'm a broken record about the stigma stuff, but right. that makes sense yeah. in a lot of ways because if you think of it as going back to psychological injury, yeah, and I just use if you bust your ankle, yeah, you limp, yeah. That's right. So a lot That's of times, right. there's an adjustment, arm there's an accommodation. That's right. Manifest in different ways. I, That's right. We want to be cautioned. The dignity of the individual wants us to discipline, not to pathologize and to just validate. So it's not the civilian job to try to unpack and deep analyze why that person is manifesting. Totally. The important thing is to to acknowledge that it's happening. There you go. Right. You know. That's right. This um, and we talk about valves, right? Yeah. Going back to this whole thing with the valve part is that um, your feelings and thoughts are going to come out any which way. Yeah. Period. Okay. Yeah, they're there. The pressure is right. real. So mm-hmm. just because you don't want the pressure out, or stigma has compelled you to not have it out as one way, mm-hmm. it's still going to come out. It, yeah. That's um, right. My own lived experience comes from. Uh, it's a lot of the basis of the studying for practice was ever mentioned. Yeah. And one of the things, I was a victim of abuse from between the ages of four and nine years old. And the nature of it was such that it, I didn't have the words for it. We didn't right. talk about it at all. But it manifested as sort of extremely, to anyone else, it manifested as extreme violent, violent outbursts. Disruptions in school, social yeah. isolation. Nobody wanted to be around me. Um, but I also, and that got me in a lot of trouble in school and this sure. and the other. But then there was school-mandated clinicians and all that kind of thing. But I got to a point where I didn't want that to happen. Mm. I didn't like what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a what they would call a toxic family or negative parents or any of that kind of stuff. But I got into my head, boys, don't cry. Yeah. And to conceal what was going on, that wasn't the word I was using. I just don't let them see you cry. I was a huge pro wrestling fan. Yeah. And I kind of adapted... Of to the idea of like, I understood even at like nine years old that The Undertaker probably wasn't The Undertaker at, out in the real world, but on camera, that was The Undertaker. And that was yeah. the way I sort of, whenever I was around people, I started to just, this is, you know, a happy, outgoing kid. Mm-hmm. What I want to talk about there is that when we think about how we're trying to communicate our mental health, the boys don't cry thing didn't have to be reinforced to me. It wasn't a commercial. It wasn't, I didn't have like, a drill sergeant, Father Miller, get up. Get yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But I just, we picked up in our social background that yeah, that's, that's something. Right. Okay. That didn't take away the sadness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And see if this sounds familiar. Let's talk about people who identify as males right now. Culturally, I've been doing this work 15 plus years. I've had the privilege of doing the education we're doing in 50 states, 26 different countries. Not me personally doing 17 different languages, but practical prevention has been, okay. Sure. But I've seen real brothers don't cry. Mm-hmm. Real Mexican men don't cry. Real Irish men don't cry. Real Chinese men don't cry. Real Turkish men don't cry. Real Italian men don't cry. Everyone and their mother thinks they've got a cultural ownership on this natural form of expression. Yeah. Okay. Now, if there's a whole reinforcement about you can't use that tool of expression, but the pressure's still there, what is a universally, as far as I've ever seen, mm-hmm. socially acceptable way for mm-hmm. men to valve out stuff? Anger. Anger. Aggression. Yeah. Sure's just in there. Me being in football, <laughs> in wrestling, took all that anger and went from yeah. f- mandated clinical visits <laughs> yeah. and getting in trouble with my family yeah. to people cheering on the sidelines. And in season, I was 
pretty, pretty calm as a yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, at home and da da da. Off season, right. back to the same. Okay. Caps back, screwed arms. Yeah. And it was, you know, my suicide attempts are all directly correlated to bottling up pressure and conveniently inconvenient. They all happen in successive summers in my junior high. Because things had built up, built up, built up. And I was in junior high. We didn't have like two days and off seasons kind of things. So I had triggering things happen to me that would make me, they were planned, but they were also sporadic. I wasn't wrong. I didn't spend nine months with suicidal ideation. They happen as I reached the point of conviction. And it's important for people to understand that suicide is not something that comes out of the blue, Mm -hmm. even if it manifests rapidly in someone. And the most responsible way to define it, because people get really scared and intimidated trying to do that, moving away from the philosophies and the deeper mysteries, on its face, you talk to anyone who's been an attempt survivor, and they'll tell you, you reach a point of conviction where you are convinced it's always going to suck. That's the unfanciest, minimal way that I can explain that to someone. And there's deeper, you can, I can write a deeper essay. Sure. But boiling it all down, it's the point of conviction that it's always going to suck. Yeah. Once you're in that headspace, everything shrinks down to a black curtain. There is no tomorrow. There is no next week. You're convinced. And when you're in a state of conviction, the power slogans, the this and the other, isn't, mm. you know, your best friend isn't going to be able to break through that because you're convinced. Mm-hmm. And I, by luck and virtue or blessings, take your pick, was unsuccessful in my attempts. Okay. But I didn't just mention it could get better. My last attempt was June 24th, 1999. I found a series of self-medication tools, which I would not have used that word at 12 right, years old. Right. Uh, got stolen a bunch, got to drinking. And throughout my high school career, I was in sports and everything like that. And I never went to a party being like, oh, I'm running away from my pain. Even though there yeah. could have been people doing that, I was complying with normalcy. Yeah, right. Now, I like using because it turned the volume down. Right. I slept at night. I, I One of my PTSD symptoms is I have recurring nightmares of the abuse. And when I went to bed stone, it just, I went to bed. That was it. And yeah. these became crutches. And I go back to this valves thing. We will do anything to make ourselves feel better, anything to manage ourselves. So some people's valves start off with running and eating and sleeping. But... As you experience mental challenges, as the pressure gets bigger than your self-care yeah, tools, right. but you're still saying that silence, you're now walking a path where you're still trying to find solutions. Right. It's not, a clinician won't say this yet. I think we're a few years off from it, but I can say because I'm not a clinician. <laughs> mm. There's almost a one-to-one correlation between someone who's experiencing dependency issues mm-hmm. and underserved or untreated mental challenges. I would I would say that there's probably <laughs> can, many clinicians that would be fully on board with yeah. that. Yeah, and I you know the the, the data you know yeah. the DSM five may not say it and maybe and the not, CDC but I think people it. who get it would agree with that immediately. It's, I'm glad that you use the word crutch when you talk about substance use or something like that because the I'm thinking of the ankle metaphor. It's like all of this makes complete sense, and this is in part for the people who are uh, new to the conversation. But like if you roll your ankle. 
there's an obvious injury. What do you do? Well, you begin to limp. You're accommodating. You know, you, you, people still have a knack to press on, but you accommodate the injury. Sometimes it's more obvious than, than others. But uh, if, if the injury is too much or, or, or so distinct that you need a crutch, I've always, like, a crutch is good mm-hmm. as long as you're also doing the work to heal on the other side. Exactly. When you become dependent on the crutch or you have multiple crutches or you're crutch for too long, not only is the healing not happening, but it might be exacerbating behind exactly. the scenes. You yeah. can even get pedantic with it. Man. Look, you get in a crutch too long, you don't put the right like, the towels underneath. And it... Secondary injury, without question. And this is not, we're not being illustrative. That is a, this is, an, this is a real, one-to-one reality. No, no doubt, yeah. So when you think about, especially what you're saying here, for someone's, we take all that and there's a, we can have a longer discussion. But for the sake of our discussion here, Remember the crisis, this mm. gap, mm. okay? Yeah. The name of the game is closing down the gap. If we do that, success stories don't become we talk someone else off a ledge. Right. Success right. stories are right. at the point of onset, I recognized that I had this thing, this pressure. I don't even have the words right. I don't know whether it's depression or trauma or whatever. But I got a pressure and it won't go away, coach. Mm-hmm. And I tried to sleep. I tried to sleep and I... You know, when I was some friends, we tried to let let off some steam mm-hmm. party. But I woke up on Monday morning, and I'm still. This is it right, won't go you come away. Right back to it. Right. It won't go right. away. What do I do? Right. Your job, a parent's job, a friend's job, isn't to be like, oh, well, that sounds like you've got bipolar disorder. No, your job is to be like, hey, that's legit. There is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go talk to someone. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to be. And yeah. the person you talk to may not know because it takes your brain is complicated. Totally. It's the most complicated thing that we are aware of. And 10 things can yeah. look like 10 other things. Uh-huh. So you're not going to get it. There's no magic wand from it all. Yeah, that's right. But that was your saving the life story as you started the conversation mm-hmm. at the earliest onset. Mm. Because crisis isn't the person who's within minutes of about to take their own life. Crisis in mental health is the moment somebody can't hide. Yeah their mental challenges anymore. Then things start to get real complicated for them in their life. All right. This this is this is resonating pretty intensely. We're pretty convinced in all of our work that the good the good news is that we'll never see the outcome of our work. That's that's a beautiful way to put it. Right? Like if if we're doing it well uh, because we're far enough ahead in the prevention, in the destigmatization, in the onboarding of potential skills, in the connection with like support resources and things like this, mm-hmm. that will never hear the story, um, or there's no story to hear. Yeah. Which, and and that comes from. I first of all, I really appreciate you being open and honest about that, mm-hmm. the attempts and like in your life and abuse. I, I and I know it's. I, I know you sharing your story has empowered countless others. And I'll tell you real quick, just because. My guy Joe is wearing a sweatshirt that reminded me of this story. Um, we started this team embrace initiative largely because we lost someone that was really important to us. Um, and that person was was always part of teams, eventually became part of my staff. And uh, it, it, it just so happens that the overlap with with his death um was at it was the first time in his life now he'd struck like you say he'd been struggling with things his entire life and it just so happens that um when he passed it was the first time in his life that he didn't have immediate access to a support structure 
which in his case was a team. Mm. So it's like, well, this was his valve for so long. And then all of a sudden that valve wasn't there. And there was, and, and, I'm, and one way to see it would be that there was no longer, he wasn't sure what tool to use to self-soothe or to, or to heal or whatever it was, man. Um, uh, anyway, and, and it, I mean, and I've had a very complicated relationship having been in this young person's life so deeply, you know, you reflect on like, what could I have done differently? And th that narrative can really keep you up at night. Um, but I, I mentioned this because he's wearing a shirt. Um, I, at, at the end of one of our powerlifting meets, we, we run one of the early initiatives of the Good Athlete Project, which is a nonprofit that we both work for, was the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association, which has, I'm excited to say, has grown to a point where it's now its own nonprofit with a very specific focus on strength, empowerment, mental health, culture, decency, all this kind of stuff. Awesome. But I say it because... Uh, it was, I had this sort of, it's not a full circle moment because the loop is not closed and the work continues constantly. But we had uh, a young person come up to us after a meet. It was after one of the state championships. We had just had 200 people in a gym, you know, state powerlifting championship, big heavy weights moving around, blue collar, hardworking environment, Couple of meatheads in the room. Fair yeah. enough, uh, but uh, we we have made a commitment to pausing that and and layering in these sort of this messaging. And it's like you, of course, can be as strong and powerful and tense as you'd like to be. It doesn't make you not tough to also admit when you're going through something and like and, or, and maybe admits the wrong word, but share when you're going through something. Like that's what teams do. Mm -hmm. Right, like that's what we do here, and so we're layering this message on all the time. At the end of this meet, in this one meet in particular, uh, a young lady came up and um, pulled up her sleeve and said, "You know," and she had scars. And with tears in her eyes, she gave me a big hug, and she was like, "I just want you to know that um, uh, you know it's been a long time since I've self harmed, and and this is why." Referring to the environment that we we're in. And I was like, it was a, it was just like a holy shit moment, you know, because like, um, and we talked like, I don't know, I'm not, this is not even, even a sensical, logical podcast at this point. I'm just sharing, I guess, but like, it's like, and, and you think like, um, how many of those stories, this person was at a certain point in their journey. And we were very fortunate to have provided an opportunity to, you know, insert ourselves or somehow positively influence on that person's journey. But to your point, I wonder how many touch points have been just a little earlier on in the story that could have gotten to that point, that could have gotten even worse. And when I think about it like that, there's no quantifiable. And as a nonprofit, we're, we're talking, we were talking the other day about applying for grants and things like this. And it's like, how do you quantify this work? And it's almost like you can't uh, because the best metric would be zero. Yeah. You know, and we're referring obviously to uh, negative outcomes there. But there is a value there that is beyond the sort of capitalistic sense of value, which, yeah. and I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because the, the story that you're talking about is something that a lot of organizations and a lot of people have been doing for decades. Yeah. And not even giving value to themselves, really appreciating what they're doing there. Yeah. We're, in, we're losing roughly. About 132 individuals to suicide each day. Okay, yeah, a day. A day. When you do the math out, we're we're escalating up for 47,000 in America. Yeah. 
800,000 plus globally each year. Um, and that rate has increased. In 2016, it was 121 per day. Yeah. And that includes everyone from active duty to veterans of the military, law yeah. enforcement to teens to 55 years and old, men, women, and child. There's no prejudice to right. suicide. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, yeah. But prevention starts with a conversation that too many don't know how to have. Millions don't mm -hmm. know how to have. Mm -hmm. And far too many never got the chance to have. Okay. That's right. And my stabilization and road to health, okay, wasn't just, oh, I did a bunch of drugs and now I'm fine. It was a conversation right. I had with one person who shared with me their experiences about talking about how mental health impacted their life in the summer of 2006. And they talked about how experiences they had related to a thing that they went and got therapy for. And my mind I never even thought about the things I was dealing with were mental health. That, right. Okay. Now, that didn't fix everything. That was 2006. Yeah, right. It was another 10 years of trial and error. And we could talk about that in insurance. But here's what I want to talk about with the powerlifting competition. Yeah. What proactive prevention is doing is formalizing something. We call it the transformation triangle. Okay. It's individual, community, institution. Mm. All right. And it has to go in this order. We could start with you yeah. to appreciate your vows and, and chart them and measure them. Yeah. Teach anyone to do that. Okay. Yeah. But the hardest challenge for us isn't needing more money, isn't changing institutional policies. It's getting someone to open their mouth. Yeah, that's right. The powerlifting thing, what you're doing there is something that people have been afraid to sort of put on the nose. You're building a community. And I don't mean that just in the big C word of like um, hippy-dippy. And I don't not say this dismissive, but oh, it's a community. Here's yeah. What I'm yeah. Think about soldiers in a platoon and battle buddies, firefighters in fraternal order, a fraternity, yeah. a sports team, a Christian youth or any religious youth, yeah. scouts. Yeah. Okay. A gaming club. Yeah. A powerlifting association. People will open up a, a concert venue with a room sure. full of strangers. Yeah. And the person on the microphone says something about mental health and people yeah. lose their minds and share. Why is that happening? Hmm. Remember, right back at the core about stigma and competency yeah. yep. and judgment. The most exciting thing about suicide prevention with this number of 132 and others mm -hmm. is that when I talk about prevention starts in the conversation, each and every person, you and everyone around you, has the ability to immediately blow stigma out of the water and hold a safe space of community just mm -hmm. by you being the one to raise your voice. That's right. And then we're not talking about a commercial and a poster. That's nice. But if you sit in a space, especially if you're a personage of authority, yeah. and you say, here it is. Yep. Mental health is real. Yep. You will start a floodgate. You could be in a corporate lunch and learn. Yep. Stodgy suit and tie and everything. And you will break down the walls and people will let it all out. Because yeah. I've done all of that. I love, yeah. These are all the different applications. Yeah. And people have taken that as a casual thing. No, no, no. Yeah. The thing no, that's, that's actually real. happening, metaphysically happening, yeah. is you are building a little bubble. Yeah. That inflates inside of a community and spaces that live and die. In stigma. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Proactive prevention is trying to take that poppable bubble yep. and build it to a reinforcing space. I That's love that. the teaching and training. The individual gets really taught. Good. Yeah. And we can go to a space and you can teach people how to reinforce. And it's not just, hey, don't say mean words. It's 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 right. it's it's a mindset. It's an approach.
And think of it That's like right. think of it like athletics, because athletics work especially well for this. Yep. Because we know stigma on one side, look in the game face. But what good is a lifting plan? What good is weeks of practice and two a days if the athlete who shows up isn't sleeping and isn't getting the proper diet? Yeah. What good is it? Right. What do you have on the field there? Okay. Right. right. What do you have as teamwork if they all hate each other? <laughs> well, that can work sometimes. Okay. But even <laughs> but really, in the, yeah, really. <laughs> even in an individual sport, talent can't override those dynamics. That's the, right. The basic innate of what it takes for you to be physically ready yourself. Yeah. And mental health is the core of all of that. Yeah. And right. that conversation for yourself and and charting your vows and da 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 da. Yeah. That's the individual part. And then you as leadership and people who are authority. And the individual, you don't have to have the title on your name to be a leader right? to talk about mental health. If you're the that's one right. who breaks the sense says, look, some days I'm not okay and that's okay to not be okay. Right. You, that is your success story. You have immediately closed the gap. Yep. That's it. That's right. After that, once you have enough people who buy into it, yeah. then going to a, a school or a company or whatever yeah. and saying, let's put it on the handbook. Let's, yeah, that's right. That's just a reinforcement it's, of something you're already doing. It's sort of renormalizing. It's, it's creating mm -hmm. a new normal. And there's this book out there I've referenced a few times uh, called The Myth of Normal. It's by Gabor Mate. Have you heard that name? I have not, but I already love the title. <laughs> you, gotta, you, have to, you have to see this guy. In fact, I, I want to make a note that I'm going to send you Please do. <laughs> something about Gabor. Um, brilliant. I, I, I am fully on board with probably 99% of his stuff for what it's worth. I, I, you know, that's just how... I'm a, I'm a conscious consumer, so I'm That's on board great. with about 99% of it, but I think largely, and who am I to even freaking say that, but the concept alone, and you get it immediately as soon as you hear it, the myth of normal, and his position is he talks a lot about trauma. He's actually, a, I believe he was born uh, in World War II okay. uh, under a Nazi regime. Now, he was only two or three, but he acknowledges how... Um, how that still manifests. There's still, in your terms, there's still pressure building, whether it's situational or what he felt from his parents who were in obvious and terrible fear the mm -hmm. whole time. Like, um, But he, but the, that concept, I've taken that concept with me all over the place. What have we normalized? You know, like people are, and, and, and again, I'm not even in a position to judge necessarily, but I, I try to help coaches and people and teams and organizations and businesses even uh, identify what they've normalized and then ask themselves why and ask themselves then does this align with whatever goals we might have for ourselves and to your point but it's like what you know you mentioned unlearning before it's like well let's just bring let's shine a light on this mm -hmm. because we have normalized and not to get too preachy but like I th we've normalized things systems when you talk about the institution especially they create a constant level of at least low-grade stress for mm -hmm. people. Lisa Feldman Barrett, we just talked this about this on the podcast yesterday. We recorded a podcast. Uh, uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett refers uh, refers to it as the casual brutality of the modern existence. Yeah, that, there's that, all this slow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's that's always right. a slow. And I wonder if social media makes you feel even just a little bit more judged. So mm -hmm. there's always this subtle, at least subtle stress response for everyone and the questions on a system level are um, are we creating systems that are leading people to best possible outcomes and if not do we have the guts to reframe it redesign it etc yeah no and that's that's a thousand percent consistent with the fact that like we we provide a lot of intensive 
education things where you there's intersectional conversations that have to be had. Yeah. We're at the bird's eye level right now. You know, right. people can appreciate, but it also needs to convert. You got to meet people where they are, not where we assume them to be. Right. So right. Right. Talking into cultural intersections, social intersections is relevant there. But yeah. what you're talking about, the the normal. Mm-hmm. The normal, the not normalizing what we want to normalize, but like right. what is normal. What has, yeah. Remember the whole thing about competency. What we've been told to comply with—that's the struggle. That's where the the pain mm-hmm. of trying to conceal yeah, the concealment right. gap comes from. Is compliance, compliance as a male, compliance yeah. as a female, compliance as a teen, as a da 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 da. Yeah. What does it mean to be a football guy? What does it mean to be a stock trader? What does it mean to... Deviation is where a lot of the stressor builds from that. Right, that's right. So that is exactly right what they're talking about without having ever read the individual. Yeah. It completely tracks with the fact that take trauma or an actual diagnosable illness, okay? You could visualize it like a ball. It's a heavy ball. It's a painful ball. It can be searing hot. Okay, this is a ball. But that alone is a medical situation tools, research, something to figure out how to deal with it. The problem is, is that ball is buried inside of a giant human heaping mm. like mound that's built of, I gotta be at work at this time, or I gotta be at class at this time, mm-hmm. I gotta make sure this person doesn't think I'm a freak. Got all these things that you have to duck, dodge and dive to mm-hmm. look normal, or look fine. So you're trying to deal with the reality of whatever your mental health challenge is, stacked in on all the things society's asked us to comply with. That's right. And it's, that's why we talk about that. So I think one of the most powerful things that you bring up is it's so easy for people to say, okay, fine, mental health, we get it, we'll, we'll do better. We'll okay? do it, right, right. But that's why I really labor on it's a mindset. Yeah. Because you, you, it's a discipline. And mm-hmm. that's the, un, I think, in the social media kind of world or just commercialism world, yeah. we want the quick turnkey. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't have something to tell you that's a quick turnkey. Right, this only works if you personally, you mm-hmm. first personally, buy that you deserve your wellness. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, because even that, and we can Dude, harder than you think for yeah. a lot of for, yeah for <laughs> even sure. Even in your social media magnifying glass, we're told yeah. that we've got a that has a cost, yeah. like that you have to justify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. rest yeah. isn't something you earn. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. think about yeah, yeah. the concept of rest. You may never have something that fits the 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 chart for a diagnosis of, a, a, you know, a clinical diagnosis. Right. You may not experience anything that's a psychological injury of a broken leg scale. At a right, point. right. But you can burn the F out. Oh, yeah. And your functionality can go to zero, mm-hmm. right? Think about the language in any, any place you go where it's like, oh, well, I deserve a break. Yeah. Wait a minute. You can blow out an engine just from <laughs> overrunning. Sure. An athlete can, can no matter how well-conditioned you are, you still have your limits if you don't, you know, take a breather. You see what I'm yeah. saying? So yeah. even just the psychology of finding a pace that works, finding a way that yeah. gives yourself the grace to do what's best for your body so that you can be the best at X, Y, and Z. Right. Think about how much discipline that takes because people kick their own butts. Takes a lot of it takes a lot of discipline in and namely the discipline of awareness, I mm-hmm. think. We have one of our mantras, I say countless times, anyone who's actually tuning into this podcast will be bored of it, but it's it's just so omnipresent and true. It's does your behavior match your goal? And it's we call it the mantra of practical mindfulness. And I think too people too many people have been sucked into the normalized state of 
constant grind and mm-hmm. do more, do more, do more. Prove that I'm valuable, not only to the institution, but valuable as a human, right? This has been subconsciously normalized. And, um, you know, one of the things that I will often try to help people do is like, is that, like, is, is that in line with what you want? And the light bulbs that happen even just there, like, well, you know, I never even really thought about <laughs> what I want, you know, like what, what a good, and it's like, if you want to be creative, if you want to be a free thinker, we, we all have to grind. Okay. I'm not trying to dismiss that idea. We all have to grind at certain times. We all have to be uh, resilient at certain times. I actually call it intentional or selective override, not a constant state of override. Because what happens in those situations that we're referring to is like, well, you chew up all your bandwidth to be creative or to even like some like to have empathy. Think about think about cultures or institutions that are that are grinding so hard nonstop that have normalized the wrong things, people having to prove their worth. Well, not only are you, I think, uh, potentially causing mental health issues. But you're also limiting the capacity of people around the person who might need support mm-hmm. to reach out and demonstrate empathy because they're freaking burnt out too. It may not be this, to the same degree, perhaps, mm-hmm. but they're burnt out too. So, um, all of this is worth all of this is worth considering. I actually I threw this out to uh, an institution not too long ago that was saying like our people are important, like the mental health of our people that is important. And I'm like, fair enough. Well, then can you tell me why you are mandating this arrival time and, you know, and sending in emails at this time and you're, you're, you're uh, naturally like you are absolutely as a byproduct of your system creating sleep deprivation, which has a very direct correlation to mental health issues. Why you're doing, why you're, why you're, um, what was the guy we had on the other day? It was like, there's a big difference between being demanding and being demeaning. Yeah. And some of the stuff is happening over in this other category. Does that map on to what you say you want for your, your people in the organization? I don't think a lot of organizations are willing to confront that. No. And that's where the, the institutional level of, of this work yeah. is about reinforcing. It's not a performance reinforcement. It's, yeah. it's reinforcing the dignity of the individual. That, it's not a performance reinforcement. Yeah. It's, that's, that's big. There's, people do that. I think one of the, you know, let's look one of the things in the face when we talk about this. Because, and you talked about it a little bit with the powerlifting group. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look it right in the face. Hustle culture, grind culture. Well, yeah. in an athletic sense, someone could hear what we're saying. Like, all right, well, that's great. But look, when you got to go for the PR, when you're trying to do the championship of the state to the conference, of the yeah, yeah. you got to go where no one else is going to go. You got to get to that Jordan level. And I'll put it at this. Even someone who <laughs> demonstrated an an amazingly obsessive focus yeah. with Jordan, thanks to the, the great, uh, documentary. Yeah, you're right, right. That only works if you've prioritized and constructed your functioning to that goal. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and I'm not even talking about like, oh, you gave up marriage or something. I'm, I'm just saying there's there are certain things you have to do mm-hmm. for functioning. And you talked about this like overtaxing yourself. Yeah. Okay. As a student athlete, for instance, just yeah, bring yeah. it down to this. There's a way to focus on being the best athlete you can be yep. and worrying about academics. But a lot of the conversation makes us say that you've got to do 100% in the classroom here yeah. and 100% on the field here yeah. on the same day in the same time. But imagine yeah. a community and institutional reapproach that says, like, okay, there's going to be this ebb and flow where yeah. we're going to we're gonna 
chamber some of our energy and hit the books, okay? Yeah. Yep. But then, look, I don't have the headspace, and I'm not going to make the headspace for that study here because I'm going to put it into into this mm-hmm. bucket. Yeah. And it matters. It's a healthy outlet. It's I'm not going off and you know starting up some hijinks or vandalism or whatever. Mm. So it has merit. Sure. And what is wrong with saying, let's talk about, we're not saying like, okay, you go home two days and go to school three days, yeah. you're a D1 athlete or something. Right. But like, there's a way to have an honest discussion and say that you only have so much brain capacity. Yeah. So what if we create prior, a prioritization flow instead of trying to say, hey, you 14, 15, 16, 17 year old, you got to go zero to 100 every single day at, yeah. at all capacities. Right. What if a kid says like, hey, look, you know what? I'm going to take the study home and sleep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and... Yeah, the thing you it. said about the emails in yeah. early, yeah, yeah. If we're the masses of of controlling this curriculum, yeah, what is the harm in saying nine p.m. start time or something? You know, give the kids if you want them to have academic time at home yeah. for homework, why can't you come in in nine? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Come in, you're right, exactly. Who defined this? Like, and that's that's right. a, that's minutia, but the no, no, I think it's more than minutia. The, those are some of the small. <laughs> they might sound like okay, we bump school start time back an hour. Well, the data is very clear that that districts who have done things like that um, have massive uh, improvements in in mental health. For example, later I'll, later arrival times, later yeah, arrival yeah, times, yeah. something as simple as that. So it may seem like like you like. There are people who are like, well, what's the difference? Eight o'clock, nine o'clock, who cares? Well, biology, for one, you know, adolescent psychology, adolescent biology, differing circadian rhythms. I don't mean to dig too deep in the sleep no, thing, but that, this is a big one for us. Because like you mentioned that internal huge. stuff. Yeah, it is. It's like, if, if you don't get it, you will have, and it's so obvious. It's one of, the, I think it's one of the most obvious and pervasive um, health epidemics that we navigate and like mm-hmm. kind of don't want to talk about because uh because of our hustle and grind culture which by the way over the course of my life i have like for whatever reason i've hustled i have grinded i like that was my differentiator as a football player differentiator in a lot of things but i don't romanticize it and cut and paste it on everybody else that is like a total that would be a total misunderstanding on my part to think mm-hmm. that's just like i'm i at certain times trying to play to my own strengths and that's that's the sort of awareness that i hope we all can have, but like, it's so easy. If you show up on eight or nine hours of sleep, or you show up on three or four hours of sleep, don't the exact same challenges feel different? Tremendously. I mean, so like, how could we, on a systems level, not acknowledge that? Like, let's at least give people a healthy sleep opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. I wanna come back to um, the Jordan thing you said, because that's, that's like people's counter and, and I like to get provocative, in, mm-hmm. especially when I do the workshops. I'm like, I, I, people's counter to this sort of work is like, no, like I'm like, like they romanticize people like Michael Jordan. I'll say two things about Michael Jordan, and maybe three, maybe four. Number one, possibly the greatest athlete ever. That was like the only, that's the only true all-time legend that I ever saw play. Like I, just, I, I missed, I wasn't aware enough for Walter Payton. Big, you know, but I saw Michael Jordan as a kid in the '90s, uh, and and best ever, other level. That's my opinion. Also, definitely an addict, and you could talk. You could say um, whether that's in uh, gambling, 
or <laughs> addicted to whatever it might be. And then same, like, and, and so what's underlying that? I'm not going to try to diagnose Michael Jordan here. And this is very provocative. And I hope nobody, I hope Barstool Chicago or somebody doesn't get a hold of this. But like, <laughs> but like, there's, you don't, I think this is, you know, it's an unsexy thing to say, but you, you don't want a community of Michael Jordans. You know, that's a one-off that worked only one time, maybe two if you count Kobe, you know, mm -hmm. but like that is not the sort of mindset or disposition that will help people full stop. Mm -hmm. But we romanticize this idea too much. There's actually this one public speaker who I am so vehemently against, and I'm not going to name his name, but I'll tell you off, off air, mm -hmm. just because I don't want to drag somebody through the mud who's, who I think at least in part is trying to do good. Mm -hmm. I think, but they're like, there's this famous, there's this famous quote where he's like, um, he's talking to, I think, a college football team. But he also does like professional engagements. Do you know where I'm going with this? Is it about breathing? It is about breathing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta want it as bad as you wanna breathe. And I'm like, my goodness, no, you don't. And he talks, and, and look, and I gotta admit this, cause that story has caused a physical response. That's gotten me jacked up at mm -hmm. different times. I used to put that in my, my earphones while I was scraping ice off my car at 5 a.m. to go to work in the morning, and it's getting, it's like waking me up in the morning. And also, that doesn't work for people. There's a direct quote in this speech that I'm referring to that's like, he's telling young people, uh, you have to be obsessive. You have to be willing to not eat. You've got to be able to go days without sleep. And like yeah. some of you are going, you guys are sleep. Like uh, you got to be willing to go three, four hours of sleep, or even skip it if you really want to succeed. And I'm like, stop yeah. telling that <laughs> to influential young people. You're playing on their hero tendency or their desire mm -hmm. to be great, and and taking them down a path that will absolutely degrade their physical performance. So no, that Alabama football team on three hours of sleep is not going to be the champions they want to be. And also, to our discussion here, you are going to be without, this is not a question, you are going to be causing mental health issues in part because it's like they're going to feel like garbage, first of all. And then kind of what you were saying earlier, it's like then they have this self uh, this degraded cycle of, well, I can't do it on three hours of sleep. Maybe something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I'm not as good as that or the other person. Anyway. And that's look. Why, why'd you get me riled up? No, on but this is, let's <laughs> drive into it, especially because when we talk about athletics, especially for, for people who identify as male, you hear terms, people roll their eyes when you hear terms like patriarchy and masculinity and toxic and all this kind of stuff. But let's not dance around the fact that the vast majority of our society's shaping of compliance. Yeah has gender lines to it and then for for sure for people a lot of those echo the expectations of what it means to be a man okay mm -hmm. we'll all agree on that and nod our head and so on and so forth but i really want to drive into this idea about athletic performance and yeah. the jordan thing two things about that one with jordan i love that you said we can't all have a society of jordans Whatever it takes to not pathologize whatever his driving factors yeah, are, right. you would ask, okay, his excellence in basketball yep. had a trade-off, though. There's a trade-off. He exactly. did put his brain space in that. You could, can you healthily, there's an innate skill thing that you can't match, but could you dedicate right. your, your being 100% right. to a thing yep. and not have it cause, like, cataclysmic failure hmm. to, you know, to your body? Yep. Yes, you can. Sure. You can't. And you have to accept what comes with that. You can't try to. You That's know, right. Does Jordan know how to talk about some piece of fictional literature? Probably not. Right. Right. That was not part of what he right. made. That was what he accepted. So 
you could do a thing yeah. all the way as totally. long as you're not. And I think about the student thing. A student could go out there and be a, a master at shot put, but if the mother trucker's got to learn about like social studies and algebra two, mm-hmm. and do chores at home if that's a thing that people do, and maybe have a social life and the group chat, yeah, you didn't give them the space, and they're not in the yeah. space where they yeah. get to do a hundred percent. Moreover, you're 23 and you want to be grind life. Guess yeah. what? If you've got a rent or a mortgage or college classes, and you're not Michael Jordan who has billions and billions and can literally laser it, yeah. It doesn't matter what your positivity thoughts are. Your brain capacity didn't give you the chance yeah. to put, and that's okay. So that's just a real. That's a sort of come come to reality point that we mm-hmm. can have. Mm-hmm. But then the other part about this, every advancement we have in mental health yeah. that has been progressive didn't come from the illusion of like the hippy dippy. Everyone got in a, in a campfire circle and started talking about their emotions. Unfortunately, you know what has been the, the, the forerunner for us learning more and more about what trauma actually is, what anxiety actually is, how to yeah. better treat these things, has been ineffectively treating soldiers and mm. veterans coming back mm. from war. Totally. Yep. And then having to throw all the BS into the trash and start from square one of talking to soldiers and figuring out. And what works for a soldier and a veteran coming back from trauma ends right. up being a thing that it will eventually, five and ten years later, matriculate down to the civilian world because it's passed through enough stigma filters to be like, well, it worked for them, so yeah, let's try it here. Right, that's right. the only way. You look at the first per- papers that's right. That's right. validating that, hey, 12 and 9-year-olds in a violent zone in New York or Chicago can actually have the same kind of trauma. that is Without question. It wasn't the study. It took five years of like Columbia, New York University, and University of Chicago studying yeah. kids in Chicago and New York kids. But that was 10 years of studying after we had eight years of soldiers coming back from Afghanistan That's and Iraq right. who right. weren't even near the combat field. They weren't even – Sure. They weren't Delta and Navy SEALs. They yeah. were working back at a base, and they Trauma were still coming back. Lifestyle and rocked, fear. Rocked and yeah, roll. right. And they had to throw away all the textbooks on what – that, you know, trauma was a Vietnam thing of, like, sustained exposed combat. That's why a whole bunch of Desert Storm soldiers – didn't yeah. get full benefits for trauma because yeah. the storm was too short. You weren't anywhere near. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, all these yeah, guys yeah. were being invalidated. Yeah, that's, that's right. Okay, you keep coming down the line. Anxiety used to be a one-to-one correlation. You were in an elevator that almost collapsed, so you get right. shaky when you were in an elevator. Right. Fine. You're right. sitting in a classroom, and you're falling apart with a test in front of you. You're making it up. You're overdramatic. If you're a girl, you're being a drama queen. If you're mm. a guy, tough it out. What the hell's wrong with you? It, it all comes down to this matriculation. And I go yeah. back to the grind life culture, this, where this is going. Take the Navy SEAL training. Yeah. When they do sleep deprivation training, yeah. that very well-documented and publicized stuff, yeah. they're not teaching you to get over it and tough it out. What yeah. Navy SEALs are doing, the, the training there and other special forces, putting you in sleep deprivation is recognizing the utter depletion of your physical capabilities mm-hmm. and they're trying to get you to muscle memory mm-hmm. bare minimum things because your lack of sleep has diminished that's right and depleted all your effectiveness right and all they're trying to do is get you to be able to carry the bare minimum walk yeah. you know look, watch go back yeah. and watch bs test me go watch those documentaries on bud's training or whatever no, they're holding is, a log is, this is real <laughs> they're just being yeah. asked to like hold a log or carry yeah, yeah. on top right. not make a sniper shot and you know, right. disarm a, you know, right. it's just, can you walk and talk? Because that's how disastrous sleep yeah. deprivation is. So just that's going right. back to the, you need to breathe thing. That is 
Oh, look, a motivational YouTube thing or something you play in Spotify has a value when you're listening. Sure, of course. But get into the illusion that there's some sort of Superman formula for being able to respect and give your body the dignity it deserves. Yep. Which is your mind plus all the other parts. That's a conversation that we all need to be having. And that, yeah. that's, that's the masculinity thing, too. It doesn't have to be start with get in touch with your feelings. Yeah. Get in touch with your body. Be, have an start honest there. conversation about start your body. There. Yeah, yeah. Your sleep matters. Yeah. And show me anywhere in the world, because we use the military thing as a like counter-programming thing. Mm. The most important thing they'll tell you is get sleep. Yeah. Get sleep. Right. Get sleep. And hydration. Right. Sleep, <laughs> that's right. You know, and I never served a day. Yeah, I never served a day. Yeah, but just to like, if the pushback to what you're talking about and the grind life thing is a very real thing, you go to the highest levels of what people are asked to do physically beyond, you know, the safety boundaries of an academic institution, a student athlete. Yeah, and at the highest levels of demanding physical performance, sleep, diet, and hydration. If you want to take it there, and all those things, read the textbooks. Yeah. Again, never served anything, but I've read the textbooks, and I've done direct education to active duty and veterans. I might be one of the few people who, who've been contracted to do not just veteran work, but active duty. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And my big ass shows up there, excuse my language, and I'll talk to them. You talk about that sleep and, and hydration and, and food. In their textbooks, the reason it is is to do what? Get your mind right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Because yeah. if, if you don't have your mind, everything else is kaput. And Take that down to your civilian life. I'm glad that you're saying this, by the way, <laughs> because well, because like the concept, and we I know we got to wrap Coach Lim. Coach Lim's giving me one of these <laughs> with his eyes, not his. <laughs> but uh, but a big part of our our what we call our bedrock approach is recognizing the value of addressing the physiological. It takes a bunch of different angles, but in, in one of our early frameworks, it was very simply: eat, move, sleep. Sleep. Okay. Eat, move, sleep. And if you can get those, if you can do those, first of all, it is it's very difficult to address any uh, address any high level concern before addressing those things. Like how could let's talk about like we're in the mental health discussion. You want to enter into a psychotherapeutic relationship and and get that kind of support. Well, there too, if you're on two hours of sleep versus well rested, that work is going to be more or less effective based on your physiological mm-hmm. state. Um, if you're not eating, moving, sleeping well, consider the opposite. Um, uh, malnourished, sedentary, sleep deprived. How how good could you possibly end up being? You could do it for a little while, mm-hmm. right? But you'll never reach your optimum capacity. So whether you're trying to uh, address a concern or you're trying to get to your highest level of performance, it's worth coming back to bedrock. And oftentimes we find that there's there can be great empowerment there because you can find wins for yourself. You know, it's like uh, you work with someone who is frustrated consistently you know, in a corporate situation or one of these guys coming, how about this, one of these guys coming back from the military trying to enter a corporate situation yeah. you know, and you're really frustrated and maybe you do need to work on your communication strategy because communicating in this environment is a little different than communicating in that environment. Fair enough. And communicating in either environment will be influenced by your sleep. So instead of saying to someone, become an elite communicator fast, You say, well, one part of your communication will be, let's get these healthy habits around, say sleep. Let's try to, let's try to make some moves there. And if you do, number one, your communication will just sort of naturally improve eight instead of three as a hypothetical hours. But also you get the empowerment 
of having taken control of one of these things. So like there's a psychological empowerment that comes with it and there's also this important ripple effect and I don't I, I, I say all that I don't want to go down that road too far, but I'm glad that you brought those mm-hmm. concepts up. Because for, for what I've recognized is those sometimes can be people have different degrees of challenge with all of those, but those can sometimes be the more tangible wins for people. Like if you become a subtly better communicator, you may or may not become empowered by that. But if you said, hey, I used to sleep, I used to be gaming into the night and get five hours of sleep and was grumpy the next day all the time. I've rearranged my habits. Now I've got eight and I feel a little bit better. Man, you can name and, and, and look at that. And, and if you're doing it right, become empowered mm-hmm. by having taken that positive step forward, whether it's a valve or controlling one's own wellness or whatever it is. Anyway, so we're always looking for opportunities. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, And closing out on the sleep thing yeah. is... is Great here because sleep is we've hammered in on the importance of sleep, but as a practical tool, because mm-hmm. application is always essential, sleep is one of the easiest places to spot check or proof test this whole thing about starting a conversation. Okay? So we're not even talking about are you traumatized? Or do you have an early death of lack of sleep and sleep deprivation? Yeah. We've talked about it has all these effects. Talking about Sleep deprivation, though, yeah. also as a result of being minimized. Oh, if you a have a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. show me a 16-year-old as a proof test. Have them go up to their parents or guardians. Have them go up to an educator. Have them go up to a, a coach. And be like, I am having trouble getting effective sleep. Yep. Now, they can have a list for homework and but w- watch and see if the responses are supportive mm-hmm. and validating, or are they dismissive and minimized? Are they, well, yeah. you should be playing games. Are they, yeah, are, that's are right. you, are you, maybe you need to do your homework. All these yeah. things that are like judgmental of like you're doing something wrong. Yeah, that's right. What yeah. if the social and institutional structures have compelled them telling someone to not have recreational time, yeah. which is a valving system, 100% is BS. And, totally. a, and we don't do need it. to have a scientific research of the value of a video game just because they're not doing but calculus. But we, we do know it a little bit. He's done some <laughs> research on it. No joke. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's legit, you know, yeah. but... It doesn't have to just manifest as a socially approved thing. Yeah. Reading psalms or poetry books or something. Sure. The point is, is you want to BS test what we're talking about right now in mental mm-hmm. health. Every person who's listening right now can do this this very second. Let's do it. Statistically, Let's do it. The, the BS test. Let's yeah, do it. Statistically, sleep is a thing. Everyone is. That's one of my, as I've worked through my own traumas and processing, I don't use substances anymore as a crutch. Okay. But there was one of the things I did is it's not food associated as an, a binge eater. I worked myself to death as a, mm. as a coping, you want to talk about grind life. Yeah. My organization that I run now is it's new. Okay. I was in a different organization where through no fault of the organization, the people there, cause I was part of the leadership. I basically almost ran myself into a grave Yeah. on the road every day. I didn't take a vacation for eight straight years. Mm. And I was a little bit of grind life, but part of it was also a PTSD thing of like, some people might cut, some people might drink, and I was using drugs to manage. Yeah. But my thing was, I didn't value myself and my body enough to discipline diet and physical exercise. To me, going to the gym, which was always a thing in my life, mm-hmm. but in my recent eight years as I shifted off of substance use, yeah, I just replaced it with well, I'll just work through to like 3 a.m., get two or four hours of sleep, and didn't prioritize because when I looked in the mirror, 
I didn't appreciate and care for the person that I was. And it took a lot of therapy work to not hate the person in the mirror, not blame that person, it's yeah. me, and align them. One of the biggest struggles for me has been sleep. Yeah. Because I put on like 150 pounds in the course of like six years, okay? Mm-hmm. And sleep apnea and da 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 sure. So I didn't even validate that. And as I started to get into, you know, get your you know sleep studies sleep and everything, tra- yeah. life-changing. But yep. my point yep. for bringing it on home today, right now, it's so easy to invalidate ourselves and our worth and da 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 And if you do this sleep thing, you ask people around and just say, I want to improve my sleep. I think it's impacting my quality of life. You will see two things. One, you break through a stigma of silence because sleeping incompetency, you've got to admit, hey, I'm not the best I could be. I'm not okay. Yeah, yeah. But then you're also going to watch the unfortunate, fortunate side of this is people's responses. And it's either going to be one that burdens you, well, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, right. It's offensive. Or hopefully you see people are like, okay. I take you seriously. Yep. Let's explore. I don't have all the answers, but let's explore yeah. how we can fix this. Let's let's in the conversation leads to prevention, and that, that's the key. And it up. Unaffected responses can come yeah. from people who love you. With they, I would say they often do. <laughs> you know, I've been a perpetrator of that countless times, wanting to help people, and not. That's the unlearning yeah, part. Yeah. Your parents, your guardians, can be compassionate, wonderful people. Yeah. And they can look you in the eye and not be like, "Oh, why are you screwing up." They could be like, well, hey, bugaboo. Yeah. Well, you put that game down a little bit, or maybe you study a little bit yeah, earlier, yeah, and then yeah. we'll, we'll get in. We'll love right. you. And they said that they cloaked it in compassion, yeah. but they did not help you. <laughs> yeah. Bit. Well, and it's, of course, it's case by case. Of yeah, course. yeah. For some people, that's simple and fine. But what I think what you're identifying <laughs> is in part, like, and when I brought up that um, video game example earlier, it's like, you get to that point only when someone has identified that that is what they want, mm-hmm. right? Like this, you know, um, and, and that's something that's been, that there's been a flaw of mine many times is like, I'll go right to what I think the solution is because I sometimes will have in past have made the misstep of thinking that someone bringing their concern to me means that they want help with that concern because my natural disposition is to help. Yeah. So, and I, and I jump the step of, validating the concern sometimes or I have in the past and, and that's something I've had to unlearn all right we have to close out uh but <laughs> but we could talk about this look and maybe we just give you an open invitation to the podcast oh, because this is this I is a conversation it. that that is an ongoing one you know that it's it'll and there's I would love to bring on some more athletic centric folks as well to, to yeah I mean I know you probably have tremendous guests already but all the proactive work is, it's not just a one person or one organization thing. Yeah. This manifests in different ways, too. Everyone's going to put their own flavor on. That's right. Spaces to listen and support and so on and so forth. So. Well, you're amazing. Where can people find you? Simplest way is the hopeforusnetwork.org. Is it number four, F-O-R? Uh, F-O-R. Okay. Hopeforusnetwork.org. Uh, there you'll see our, we run um, programming on Twitch, live streaming things. We've got the Insta, Grizzle, Twitter, Facebooks. Yeah. Even started TikToking some stuff. So. Oh, boy. I'm joking. We carry it over. But, you got to uh, be where people are. I yeah, get we're easy to find, and it's uh, get connected with us because every single person listening to you yeah. all has the power to both start a conversation but also be that, you know, ally in this work. Yeah. Like to be the one who's making that change. It doesn't require yeah. a bunch of money and 
No. <laughs> we need more people. We need more good people, positive relationships, good messaging, and important conversation. But thank you for starting the conversation for so many over so long. And thank you in advance for all the good work I'm, I know that you're going to go on to do. Appreciate it. And we're here as partners if you ever need us. That's a, that's a fact. Oh, we're so. going to have to get some cool things. Okay. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, thank you. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.